As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman after another action-packed weekend of spring games, Bruce. Uh, A lot of major schools had them, Notre Dame, Alabama, LSU, Wisconsin. Uh, But one got the ESPN spotlight, Coach Prime's debut at Colorado. And uh, that was the ESPN, the only spring game on ESPN. And our man, David Ubbin from the athletic was on the scene in the snow. Have you recovered David from a a, a late April day where it was 31 degrees and snowing? Well, I was probably the only person in the building who was wondering why Dion maybe could have taken the South Florida job uh, instead of the (laughs) Colorado job during the game. Uh, But yeah, I think, you know, once I regained, feeling in my fingers um from from walking uh, into the stadium you know it was it was pretty interesting because I, I just think there's so much uh attention being paid and so much uh interest that has been drawn and it's just fascinating because i really truly do think and you guys are uh not to not to touch a nerve you guys are a little bit older than me so maybe you can you can correct me on this i don't remember anyone maybe in the history of the sport turning a program literally overnight without coaching a game from completely irrelevant to front page news in one single like hiring. It's just insane. Colorado not only was bad last year, the worst power five team. When have you thought about Colorado football in the last decade? I mean, McIntyre had one good year, but I think other than the four and two season during the COVID short year, I think they've had, you know, that was the one winning season that they had um you know for the last i think it's 15 16 seasons so you've been bad you've been irrelevant and now all of a sudden you know i would say colorado in terms of reaction opinion uh spotlight other than like you know they're on that alabama ohio state clemson level where people are very interested in whatever is happening and yes a lot of it centers around coach prime more than the roster I don't think it's a stretch to say it. Yeah, it was actually exactly, almost exactly a year ago, April 18th, that uh, we were doing a 
uh, series on the athletic about wayward programs. Mine was Colorado. Um, really long story, did a lot of reporting for it. And, you know, a lot of it was about kind of the nostalgia of the 90s and then just getting into how far they've fallen. And every one of the people I would interview, like Gary Barnett, uh, Hawkins, you know, all these former coaches and ask at the end, like, well, what do they have to do to get back? And it was just like, nobody had an answer. <laughs> it just, yeah. you came away from you. You, look, you want to end the story with a happy ending. And it was just like, it just, the, the takeaway to me is like, this program is doomed. They, they, they have no money. They have no talent in their state. You know, they're probably going to fire Carl Durrell after the year. Who the heck would take that job? So a year later to be turning on that game and see 45,000 screaming fans. And it's the Chris Fowler is there. Obviously he's a CU alum, but like he's calling the spring game. Could not have pictured that. I don't think there is to answer your question, a context certainly in, in Stu and I's career, which is about this, you know, about close to the same age and of this scope of things. I don't think there is one that, you know, you, you know, Nick Saban getting to Alabama was a big deal, but two years before they hired him, Mike Shula had them as a, they finished in the top 10, you know, Alabama pre Nick Saban was nothing like what Colorado has been for like the last two decades. Right. So there is, no, it's also, you know, the fact that it's happened in the social media era. And as you know, David, better than certainly Stu and I, because you've been around him now a, a fair amount and been around that program in the last six months. Um, they take a ton of advantage of social media and that didn't exist. Like, I don't know, you know, Dion certainly, you know, he was an SI cover guy back, you know, coming out of Florida State. But a lot of this is so ripe for the era we're in between transfer portal, NIL, and certainly social media and things where you don't need to be, yeah, they were on ESPN, but they don't, you don't really need that to get attention and get to the, you know, to a lot of the people you want to get to, which quite honestly recruits, whether it's through Instagram or different kinds of, of reach. So I think it's a good point you're bringing up. And so not only is there no, no parallel or no precedent for this, the, the timing also of when he's coming along um, is just so ripe for this. Well, and it's an interesting space because he operates in a way so counter to every other coach that you have the people that like, well, I just don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. And I'm going to root against him because he doesn't represent what I think college football coach should be or sound like or look like or whatever. And then you have the folks that are just like, this is cool. I'm here for the spectacle. You know, I don't know what he's going to do next. And then, of course, you have the Colorado fans who are like, this guy is going to rejuvenate our program. We're going to win a bunch of games. It's just sort of like a perfect storm of like everyone has a Colorado football opinion overnight. And a year ago. Nobody had a Colorado football program except I'm not going to watch them on the Pac-12 network at 4 p.m. today. That's the only Colorado opinion people had. I mean, it's interesting just to look at, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Bloom, who was a great player for CU and somebody I, I got to know pretty well over the years. Like he took a picture and it's him. And he was like talking about all the people who were there. And it's like, I was like, man, that's Lendell White next to him. And that's Ter I knew that was Terrell Davis. Obviously, Terrell Davis. Mm -hmm. Both guys have deep Colorado ties, but not because of CU. Um, Terrell Davis played at Georgia, but was a great Bronco and Lindo White is from Colorado, but before he went to USC and people care 
you know, they are truly relevant right now. And I don't know, you know, and this is something that Stu and I, you know, have probably talked about in different contexts, but like, I, I think we certainly as a podcast, but in general, I think we overvalue spring games themselves, you know, like coaches, a lot of coaches are like, yeah, you just probably, you guys need to pump the brakes on some of the overreactions you get to it. At but the end of the day, it's one practice. Yeah, It's a practice and it's also, it's manufactured. It's like that you, it's more important, probably the stuff that they will not let you see as opposed to the stuff they want everybody to put out there. At. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, who knows what his team is actually going to look like when it's on the field. So I, I'm curious is if they go five and seven, no bowl game, but that's still way better than a one win team. Uh, is that what you're expecting? And also, do you think like, what is, I don't want to say what is success, but what do you think would be a good season for them after, you know, kind of getting the temperature of them? Well, this is sort of the conv- the complicated question about Colorado and the, the Coach Prime rebuild and the whole thing about everything is that, oh, they're giving them all this attention, like they're not going to win championships. Okay, that's fair. But also, like, the bar is so low. Like I said, if you can get to winning seasons, if you can get to a bowl game, that is something. That is significant. And that doesn't even necessarily have to be in year one. If you're seven and five, two consecutive years, that's the best two-year run that Colorado football has seen in decades. So I think it's interesting to start there. Now, how good is Shador Sanders? I think we'll see. He looked very good on Saturday. Uh, does that have anything more to do? I mean, this just goes back to the, the whole concept of the spring game as a zero-sum factor but the reality for colorado the most relevant thing for them in 2023 is the schedule is brutal and they're staring down the barrel of one and four because they start at tcu they host nebraska then they play the rivalry game against colorado state they have that at home then they go to oregon and they host usc who i've heard i'm told is quite good and does have a uh, eisman winner at quarterback that's going to be tough they will probably be favored against colorado state Nebraska, I mean, TBD, Nebraska, probably a better roster, but, you know, they're in a rebuild of their own at the moment. So that, you know, the non-conference is so tough that I feel like the it's going to be tough for them to get to that winning season. But I think that I think year one is sort of a pass because the reality is they're going to be better. They have more talent. They can't go one and 11. Um, they just will not be one and 11 this year and not just one and 11, but one and 11 where the other teams naming their number, you know, in 70% of those games. So that the record is sort of like, I think people that are looking on and just sort of casual don't understand how bad Colorado was last year. So I think he gets, you know, mostly a pass in year one, just because they'll be watchable. Um, year two and year three get complicated because then you start to have a little bit more control over your schedule, a little bit more expectation. That is where I think it will be interesting to see if the so-called coach prime effect sustains. How many people are at the spring game in 2024? I don't know. Yeah, Bruce, you're right that we read too much into spring games, but I would say in this case, because it's such a massive turnover and because, you know, the, some of these guys like Shador Sanders, like Travis Hunter were playing at Jackson state last year. Like to me, I was just curious to see some of these guys for the first time. And, and to David's point, like they came right out. Shador Sanders throws a touchdown to Travis Hunter, who is apparently playing both ways. Now, number one, he was number one recruit in the country last year. He also a scored 98 defensive yards. back. 
He also threw an, a 98-yard touchdown pass to a guy who 24 hours later is no longer the portal. And I want to <laughs> yeah. and I want to get to that in a second. But yeah. you know, like I don't think a spring. I don't think you can get any read whatsoever on line play right in the trenches. Frankly, do they have a defense? But it was it was yes. interesting. It was fun to see. Like they just haven't been exciting, you know. And it seems like if nothing else, Shador Sanders is one of these quarterbacks who can make you exciting. Now, bunch of transfer portal announcement. Uh, Colorado guys entered the portal uh, within 24 hours, and that and that one's the most notable. So, Montana Lamonius Craig, receiver for CU, who I think was their best receiver last year. If there is such a thing, uh, when you're on that bad in offense. He had a 98-yard touchdown catch. He was basically the star of the game. And then Sunday night, he's in the portal. So what's going on there? Well, I think we'll see. I, no portal decision is always the same. Um, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, for Colorado, who, you know, they, they're going to plan on catching the ball. I mean, you know, Caleb Mathis comes in, the young kid. I think he's going to be featured. Obviously, Travis Hunter pretty clearly – um, you know, their number one guy, Jimmy Horn comes in from South Florida, a uh, guy that did not play in the spring game. He was a little bit banged up. So it's crowded up there. And, you know, uh, this is, this goes back to, you know, how much stock do we put in, um, you know, coaching, I mean, in, uh, uh, in, in spring games, it's easy to say, Oh, this guy is sort of set in the world on fire, but what did that look like? you know, in the rest of spring. And I think when you, you know, after the game, you know, talking to, uh, to Shador Sanders, you know, you heard a lot more about, um, you know, Jimmy Horn, you know, and Caleb Mathis and, and a lot of the new, the new receivers and not as many of the, of the leftovers, I guess, if you want to call them that, uh, of, of sort of the guys that are left behind. I think it's a, it's a sort of an interesting dynamic. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's sort of where I think it gets a little bit complicated uh, in terms of what does this look like moving forward? I think you're hearing a lot more about Travis Hunter and Jimmy Horn um, than you are about, you know, Montana who obviously had a big game, but I think Shador had an interesting comment that, you know, he was talking about this, this sort of Baylor offense that they're running and saying, Hey, we feel like by the time the first game gets here, we can have five or six guys that when they're in one-on-one coverage, the ball's going to them and I can trust them to make a play. If that's the case, Colorado's going to be pretty good next year. Uh, you know, we'll see what that looks like. But I think certainly Travis Hunter is one of those guys. And, and Jimmy Horn, we didn't get a chance to really see him. But obviously had a nice year at South Florida last year. And, you know, he can probably fly in this offense. So so time will tell. Can I give you my quick conspiracy theory? It's not really a conspiracy theory. It's just a reflection of what college football is. I have no inside information on, on why this kid entered the portal. I Just to be absolutely clear. But in this day and age, everybody tampers. Um, so their spring game was actually on ESPN, right? Anybody could tune in and see it. He has a great game. How much you want to bet his phone was blowing up that night with coaches of programs who need a receiver? I'm sure that, I, I, you know, I'm sure that definitely happens. Uh, whether it happened in this case, I don't know, but I think ultimately, uh, it's sort of a complicated question, I suppose, because there will be a lot of competition there. I think we didn't get a real good feel for, you know, where it was his status coming out of spring. I think people can look at the numbers and say, Oh, you know, cause he had a really nice acrobatic 39 yard catch as well. Um, another really good touchdown catch. Uh, yeah. I'm not even saying specifically 
whether I just think that's probably going on in general. So do you like, think it's his, you well, think but it that's the decisions Stu, that he was like, oh, I'm gonna get I'm getting better offers than playing for Dion and being around this. Yeah, that's the well, that's the thing the is key, I'm like when you say offer, I I I don't I I would be skeptical of what you're saying. I, so for instance, possible. last week we saw there was like a 24 hour drama where Tyler Van Dyke, Miami's QB, you know, report comes out that morning that he's thinking about entering the transfer portal. He's upset with his NIL, like basically his NIL. It's like a, an athlete who's going to have a contract holdout, right? Or, or, mm-hmm. or demands to be traded. Drew Rosenhaus is his NIL agent, right? And and he's linked to Alabama. By the end of the night, he, you know, it's Miami actually tweets out, he's, he's going to be here. Um, you could totally see how that would have played out. Alabama definitely could use an upgraded quarterback. We're going to talk about that in a second. They, somebody from their collective or whatever makes it known to Drew Rosenhaus. Hey, if he were to come here, he would get X. And then he goes back to Miami. We know all about John Ruiz and their collective and whatnot. And they say, yeah, we can match that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's just forget about naming this specific Colorado receiver. I'm just saying like, there could be scenarios like that this spring where somebody watches a spring game and calls the collective and says, we need this kid. How much can we give him? Well, but there can also be scenarios, Stu, where, uh, you know, a kid says, hey, I got some calls and maybe overplays the interest from another school oh, yeah. and says, hey, uh, you know, maybe not Alabama, but hey, maybe, you know, uh, I got a call from somebody else. And, and, you know, right now, as I understand it, Colorado in the NIL game is, is not something that they really can do. Uh, you know, in terms of having their collective be competitive with the Alabamas and the Miamis and the Oregons and all those things. So that part of the conversation aside, for me, I'm kind of with Bruce on this because I'm like, okay, the only thing that I could see is if you left the spring and you didn't like where the competition stood because the element right. of playing for Dion, playing in this offense, which is about to get two Tennessee dra- or receivers drafted in what, probably the first 40 picks or whatever, guys that were pretty – you know, average guys before they started playing in this offense. So I think the incentives to stay would be much greater than the incentive to leave unless it seemed clear to you that, hey, this is going to be the Travis, Jimmy Horn, and TBD portal receiver show. David, uh, you know, we touched on Alabama briefly. I want to circle back to that. Um, Let me ask you this. And Stu and I have talked about this a little offline, but – this is a team that lost a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, probably the most dominant defensive player in college football the last years, a really dynamic running back. And it was coming off a year where they actually, by Alabama standards, was one of the worst years they've had in like 15 years, right? They mm-hmm. should have lost to Texas. They could have lost to a horrible Texas A&M team. They did lose to LSU at the end of the game, but like it could have been, the record actually could have been worse. Um, so with that as a setup, the quarterback play from what we're hearing, just like whispers out of there, hasn't been uh, enthralling or hasn't been something that people are really buzzing about. Nick Saban gave, kind of gave a tepid answer in the spring game about how he views the roster. If you are an Alabama fan, how confident are you that you can compete with Georgia to win the SEC, much less can you win your own division? with LSU having, having a ton of guys back? Well, you know, it, it's like you just look at, okay, 
let's take the most sort of surface level analysis. You look at the guys that, that Bama has and you look at, you look up and down their rosters. Oh, you know, Dallas Turner, obviously a big time player, Kool-Aid McKinstry, you know, and then those guys stand out. Malachi Moore, obviously you look offensively. There's nobody that jumps out at you that you love. Right. And then you go look at LSU and it, and it looks a little bit different. You know, Malik neighbors is not even like, you know, uh, a household name yet, but he's a stud. Obviously, you have Jay and Daniels, and then of course, you know Harold Perkins might be what the best. I mean, he might Harold Perkins. We're living in a world where he could be at the Heisman ceremony next year. So, you know, Alabama recruits very well. I'm sure they'll have some breakout guys, but it seems like the last four or five years, Alabama has walked into the season with just some guys that you know, like those. They got a bunch of established dudes. It's pretty thin right now on that that level of hey we know what this guy is bringing to the table especially offensively there is no one on the offense right now that really excites you um and and obviously you know at the quarterback spot you know we saw Jalen Milrow make some Houdini plays last year you know Ty Simpson obviously very highly recruited quarterback as well they haven't looked good we'll see I don't think they're yet I think regardless of everything else I don't know how much better Alabama's supporting cast is going to be, and I know they're going to be worse at quarterback. They're not going to have Bryce Young, a Heisman candidate or a Heisman Trophy winner, and a number one pick, um, you know, running the show. So, you know, the defense is probably going to have to carry them next year. Do they have enough dudes to do that? No. And I think, you know, what uh, if I'm looking at LSU, I'm very threatened. If I'm looking at Georgia, I'm feeling like a touchdown underdog. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, guys, I watched both the Alabama and LSU spring games that you didn't have to. Um, or, so America doesn't have to. And when I say I watched them, I watched the 30-minute version on YouTube. <laughs> and I think everything you're saying is correct. So I watch Alabama, and I've watched it. I mean, I feel like I watch their spring game every year because they're always one of the most relevant teams. And there's some years where you're just like, yeah, they're, they're loaded. Um, the quarterbacks, I would say, were average, inconsistent. Jalen Milrow did have one big run play, as you referred to. Uh, Ty Simpson, you can see he has a good arm. He was very inconsistent. The guy they talked about the most on the broadcast was how much Nick Saban loves their freshman running back, Justice Haynes. He's like 5'11", 205. He's like got a bit of a Damian Harris build. Mm -hmm. Maybe he is going to be the next great Alabama running back, but he hasn't played a game yet. And then you're looking at the receivers who were so underwhelming last year, and you're like, Okay, Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, Kobe Prentice, how much better can they get? So I, I'm all, let's just say, like, 
all the questions I had about their offense going in, I still have. Then I watch LSU. I mean, I think Jaden Daniels will be a thick of the Heisman race quarterback. Like he's, he's that good. He led the country in rushing yards as a quarterback last year. Um, very good receivers. Kyron Lacey was kind of the number three guy had like an Odell Beckham one-handed catch that he then juked the guy and broke for a touchdown. And then the defense. And again, Brian Kelly's made great use of the portal. We know how good Harold Perkins is the linebacker who broke out as a freshman last year. Um, you know, they got some two, two really established DTs. They weren't playing. Then he brings in Mason Smith back. He's the yeah, most, he's, he was he's out D lineman. They got, and he missed almost the entire season. So then he brings in an all pack 12 linebacker from Oregon state, Omar Spates. They've moved Perkins inside Spates is a, like the compliment. He was all over the field that night. They brought in Ovi, a, a joke foo, right. Who I, he's one of these guys, like when they say they're trying to cut down on multiple transfers, this guy played three years at Notre Dame, two years at Texas. And now he's at LSU for a sixth season. I mean, he was a good pass rusher for Texas last year. Now you add him to the mix there. Braden Swinson, who had his moments at Oregon. When I did the early top 25 right after the national title game, I was like, am I going to really put LSU ahead of Alabama? I almost felt sacrilegious, right? I have no hesitation now. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, tell Bruce will say I'm reading too much into the spring games. I just think top to bottom, LSU has a lot more to be excited about than Alabama. Yeah, I don't think it's the. I don't even think it's the spring games as much as I think if you just compare this Alabama team to next year, I think defensively we'll see the X factor is sort of can Tommy Reese do some things that that Bill O'Brien did not. Certainly, Tommy Reese, they weren't throwing a parade for him in uh, Tuscaloosa the way that maybe they would have if they had hired Cliff Kingsbury, a person that a lot of people were clamoring for. I don't know that Nick Saban would have been into that, but it was something certainly people wanted to see last year. They didn't get that. They get Tommy Reese. So you look at that, and schematically maybe they can fix some things, but personnel-wise, you're going to be worse at quarterback. And as much as you like your running backs, do we does anybody believe that any running back on Alabama's roster is better than Jameer Gibbs? I certainly don't. Um, you know, Gibbs, probably the second best back I saw in the country last year, maybe third Deuce Vaughn and him probably pretty close Bijan in the class of his own. So, uh, you know, uh, offensively, it's going to have to be more scheme and defensively, you're gonna have to find some, some guys that, that, you know, we haven't seen thrive. And that's not to say they can't do that. They're Alabama. They've got talent. They've recruited dudes. Um, you know what their four year recruiting average is like what 1.2 they're going to be fine, but. Alabama's not, you know, it's not better than fine. You have to be better than LSU. You have to be be able to beat the rest of the teams in the SEC, and the top half of the SEC is going to be pretty stingy uh, again. And, you know, going 10-2 and two is not good enough. This looks like a team that could easily go 9-3, 10-2. Can they go 12-0, 11-1? I don't think so. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to see a lot. So the, the portal's open until May 1st, and I have a, I just have, I can, I find it hard to believe Saban's just going to ride with the guys he has. There's got to be a, a notable QB transfer he's got his eye on. Maybe even, you know, a, a receiver who can upgrade that group. Like, because that's where it stands as of now to me. Like, LSU, a notch above Alabama, if not two notches above. The thing that would change the equation is if on April 30th, one th- it comes out that somebody like Tyler Van Dyke is transferring to Alabama. One thing, though, to keep in mind, if they're, like, you, with the SEC – you know, those quarterbacks aren't going to be transferred to Alabama, right? 
because mm-hmm. they that's true. You can't you pass the uh, deadline. The SEC can't pass the deadline. Conference. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. Garrett Nussmeyer, who who also looked really good in the LSU spring game, and if he decides to go somewhere, he can start. It would not be Alabama. So David, um, while we got you, yeah. I do want to ask this: if you have a minute more, um, mm-hmm. as our listeners know, you did an amazing job as our Tennessee writer not that long ago, um, and. As you said, and I agree, um, you know, it's amazing job, which what they what they did there. Hendon Hooker's gone. Those two receivers are gone. Probably the best offensive tackle in the SEC um, is Darnell Wright is also gone. And so now it's likely Joe Milton, who looked good at the end of the year. And it's crazy because, you know, all the physical tools in the world. And let's see how he fits in this in this system. Mm -hmm. Do you think? This program just had the first top 10 season in a generation almost, right? It was it was a long time. This was the best season they've had since, I don't know what, 2005-ish or something, right? Yeah, yeah something along those lines. Like yeah. that. Um, do you think they can be as good? As good, probably not, but the idea that Tennessee, that this was sort of a one-year thing and Tennessee is going to go back to being six and six, seven and five, I, I don't really buy that. I think they've reloaded on offense. I think, you know, Joe Milton, he's got to prove a lot. You know, I, I talked to Joey Halsey for quite a while in Miami at the Orange Bowl, and they really believe in him. They feel like he's matured a ton and that he can improve on the accuracy, and he's got so much around him. You know, they lose those receivers – but you still have Brew McCoy. They bring in Dante Thornton. They love Squirrel White, a guy that made some plays, you know, without Jalen Hyatt, uh, you know, in the uh, in the Orange Bowl when they absolutely dismantled Clemson. So the potential's there. I mean, you know, for better or worse, I think Tennessee probably goes as Joe Milton goes this year. If he's the same Joe Milton that got benched midseason in 2021, Tennessee's probably a six or seven win team. If he's slightly improved, they're probably an eight or nine win team. And if he's the guy that you know, played against Clemson, they might win 10 or 11 again. Um, So, you know, I think this is where Tennessee is at right now, which I think is a welcome breath of fresh air for Tennessee fans. And that there's, you look at the team and you look at what they have and you look at what they, what they bring back. And it doesn't to me look like you have the potential for, you know, Oh, that four or five win season is looming. Like that kind of feels like almost impossible relative to the amount of talent. And of course the offensive scheme and the guys they have running it, you know, that fit that really well. I mean, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton, and Squirrel White, that's a heck of a trio. You know, maybe it's not Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, but that's still pretty salty. Crazy thing on, you know, that what I just threw out about eh, 2004, 2005, it's actually further back than that. That was, this is the best season this past year. 01? 2001. Yeah. You know, because Fulmer was there a while, a while, you know, from that team out before Lane got there. But they were in the teens, you know. I, I think it was he had a 13, 15, you know, 25, 12. There was no nothing close to being a top six team. So that's pretty amazing. It's just can they sustain it? There is one last SEC topic I wanted to get to, guys, get your opinion on. And it also, in a way, involves Tennessee. So if, if David, you were there, I mean, one of the one of the most memorable stories I thought the athletic did last season was you were at the 52 49 Tennessee win over Alabama, where they took, where they took down the goalposts and you followed the goalposts uh, all the way to their, to their end. Um, Tennessee really 
embraced that scene. Like I can remember, you know, them posting on social media, pretty much bragging about how the field storming. Well, the SEC didn't like that. The SEC thinks field stormings are unsafe. And to be honest with you, they're not wrong. And so Pat 40 from SI reported on Monday that, you know, we got Destin coming up. There's always something to debate in Destin, the conf a conference working group on event safety that was appointed by commissioner Greg Sankey less than three weeks after Tennessee fans tore down the goalposts against Alabama is coming up with some ways to possibly fines aren't working. Schools are blowing off the fines and joking they, about the fines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there wasn't, there was a video, right? Like right after the game of them, of, of Tennessee's president, basically saying like worth it. Yeah. Randy Boyd is like in the box and he's watching the sort of the mayhem play out on the field and somebody asked him, and he said something to the effect of, you know, hey, we can do it every year, you know, like the fines, you know, it's just like, especially now in the era of billion dollar TV deals. I mean, yeah, are, the, fines, the fines haven't changed, right? Since they started, despite the fact that there's more TV money. A couple hundred fines, thousand dollars, yeah. If those fines were like $5 million or something, maybe a different conversation. I don't know if it would be because the kids rushing the fields don't have to pay it. So well, they're talking yeah, about some more... Some more, some more drastic sanctions. One of which is the focus of the story: they could take away future home games, future SEC home games from a school with a field storming violation. He uses the example of picture this scenario: uh, Auburn takes down number one Georgia. Their fans celebrate the field or storm the field, and in response, the SEC moves Auburn's next home game against Georgia in 2025 to Athens. So, I guess the two questions are. Do we think that's a like, would that be too drastic? Would that be something worth considering? And would it work? Two things jump out to me about this one the scenario in which Alabama gets rushed like four times in one season, like they did last year, and then in a couple years gets to play like seven home games <laughs> in the SEC. Very funny to me. Note that Greg Byrne, Alabama's AD, is on the working group, so maybe they're just sandbagging, but. Secondly, we have so many, my first thought of this, we have so many instances in the course of human history where stricter penalties do not de-incentivize, you know, I don't know if we call it bad behavior, but just undesired behaviors. That doesn't, that doesn't preclude people from doing things that they're going to do. And again, this, the, the, the people that are rushing the field, you know, oh, we're going to lose a home game in two years. They're not thinking about that. I think, and I think even if you told them that, even if you said this, I think there's a lot of Tennessee fans or whoever fans you want to talk about, especially Tennessee and the way that that Alabama game played out and all of the baggage that was coming with that game. I think they would say, we'll pay that price too. It's worth it. We may not get to celebrate like this ever again in our lives. You know, a win that has this much meaning and this much weight to it and that plays out in the way that it does. Um, so even if you do that, I think people would be willing to pay that price. I think I just, I don't know what the answer is because I'm with you. You know, it's a cool scene, but it is really dangerous and not just players sucker punching fans. There is a potential for really, really bad things to happen in this scenario. We haven't really seen the sort of like bad scenario that really changes the tenor of the conversation, but clearly the potential is there when you have young people, euphoric alcohol, you know, players that are trying to get off the field that they, you know, have been MFing all game. Like, it's not a great mix. Um, so I, I, the sentiment of what the SEC is trying to do, I get it, and it's probably the smart thing. 
and it's not a real fun opinion, but it's just like, you're, you're, you're probably right, but I, this is not going to do it. And I don't really know other than, you know, have forcing schools in some way to have very, very serious, you know, security where you have, you know, 200 security people surrounding the field. And even that might not even get it done, especially in a game that plays out the way that that one played out. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think that this is going to change as much as they think it will change. Yeah, I, I agree with what David, everything David said. I just think people are when they're in the moment. Yes. You know, there's a lot of behavior that happens that you know is not good for you or not probably right. And you just say F it and you go and then you get I don't want to call it a mob mentality. But when you have so many people around you who are going to do the same thing, I think that that kind of you acquiesce to maybe your better judgment. And I don't even know if it's your better judgment, but just like you're not thinking like people who are sitting there in a meeting and planning this out because it's a very emotional thing. I mean, ten, I mean, David, the whole thing with Tennessee, you know, like, and I'm not, you know, giving them a, I don't know, I don't know to say giving them a pass, like I'm wagging the fever, finger at somebody even. It's like that program and those fans have endured a lot of crap for a mm -hmm. long, long time and to not, not expect the emotion to just overcome them. Um, and I don't think that's like, you know, again, does that mean every every fan base that's ever stormed the field was like, you know, had been from down in the dumps to that? But I definitely think that there is you're just not go, this is probably not going to be the way to do it. And I don't know what the solution really is, because I don't think it's a penalty solution that's going to do it. I think it's going to have to be something where if you really want to, you know, do something, it's like, are you going to? I don't know, like arrest all these people for. Yeah, for, that's sort of like the question. That. Like, and how do you do that? Because we're talking about like thousands of people sometimes are getting on the field. I mm -hmm. think that if, it, if the only way it works is if that's a stiff enough penalty that incentivizes schools to hire better security, right? Yes. Because we've all been, we've all covered college games in NFL stadiums or, you know, NCAA tournament games in college, in, in, in NBA arenas, right? Nobody tries to rush the field or storm the court because there's, you know, New Orleans police officers lining the perimeter. You know, I don't get the sense the security in Knoxville, Tennessee is quite as intimidating. Um, also, it's because in these college stadiums, the fans are a lot closer to the field. But, you know, I just think if, if, if losing a home game was truly on the table, like you're not going to change the mentality of the fans, but you could change. I was actually at an Ohio State-Michigan game 20 years ago. It was the... 2002 because they won the game winning the game sent them to the national championship and i'm not agreeing with this either but the police were tear gassing the fans that ran out of the field so it's just like how how aggressively do you want to enforce it there's no good way but i think that i think that the the central question of all of this is okay so we're talking about the alabama tennessee example because well for one you know that was pretty ideal you know the jermaine burton incident after the game wasn't really the fans fault that was you know one bad actor on Alabama's part. So that one was a pretty sort of clean situation. But my question is, okay, if you put these in, you're never going to stop that specific scenario for all the reasons that we laid out, the way the game played out, the history behind that, the rivalry, all those things. That is always going to have a field story. But maybe, you know, if Auburn kicks a field goal to beat Georgia and Georgia's got three losses and Auburn's got four and – you know, you have a dramatic win. Maybe you 
de- decrease the number of field stormings from six a year to two a year. Is that good enough for you? I, you know, maybe that is, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, if, if that's because what you're talking about, David, you had said, you know, this, the, the really p- ugly potential, if there's less chances for it, or, you know, then there's probably less chances of that happening. If that's what your biggest concern is. Yeah. That's sort of where I, I think, I'll tip my cap to them for being sort of proactive here because we've had some bad incidents, but like I said, nothing that, you know, is transcending the sports world, you know, in a way like, you know, like the DeMar Hamlin incident, like everyone across the planet is talking about it or there hasn't been an incident like that, but there certainly is the potential for that. And I think they're trying to get ahead of that before it happens um, where you have a really ugly incident between a fan and a player. There've been some minor ones, but nothing, really really bad i think you know props for trying to get ahead of it but i just don't know i mean college football is built so much on emotion that i don't know you know i think what you said is is incentivizing schools to beef up security but you know where do you where do you stop do you have somebody saying you know it's it's, at what point do you let the floodgates open and at what point do you break out the handcuffs and the tear gas like that's those are questions you're going to have to ask if you're in a meeting and you're trying to figure out how do we do this and, you know, how do we do our responsibility without causing a, an actual riot? I, I don't know. Smarter people than us will have to figure this out. We'll, I'm we'll, not so sure about that. I'm not so sure either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm talking about college. We are talking about college athletics, but, you know, I feel more comfortable weighing in on Alabama LSU's on-field prospects than how to stop a, a, a you know, possible you know, English soccer type, which by the way, it's when you talk about, it could get like, we could see an English soccer type nightmare. Uh, It is that dangerous. It's fun to watch on TV. It's fun to be a part of. If you're a fan of that team, it is dangerous. So sorry to be a party pooper, but it is David. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, You can read his work on the athletic. He's done a great job uh, kind of on our unofficial Deion Sanders beat. Uh, He's also on, the SEC and Grits podcast. You want to tell us uh, when people can hear that? Yeah, well, we're in the off season, so we're in kind of a weird schedule. Myself and and Brody Miller are talking SEC, you know, sort of semi weekly, something along those lines. And uh, I've made a couple guest appearances on Stars Matter for our Three Star U project. That was a lot of fun to do. So if you haven't read that, check that out as well. And I missed. I miss. I, I, I botched the name football and grits. The SEC. Well, last show. week we did a, we did a pimento cheese sandwich and, uh, and grits, uh, episode for Brody our, covering our, the uh, writer coming back from the golf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, and you can find that on the Andy Staples show and friends feed. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn talent solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Bruce, you yourself, you've been awfully busy. You're making me feel like a slacker. I promise I am working, but I don't have I haven't had anything like this come out recently. You've had two eyebrow raising stories in the past week. So let's start with one's college, one's NFL draft. Let's start with college. You were at Oregon State uh, early last week. You spoke with first really like big interview I've seen with DJ Uyunglele since he transferred from Clemson and he had some uh interesting things to say about his exit from Clemson he did um you know we sat down after practice I went to practice and then afterwards and I honestly didn't know you know didn't have any game plan necessarily I had a bunch of questions I was going to ask him but when we talked about him going to Oregon State and what appealed to him I think it became a lot about what he felt like he wasn't getting at Clemson you know the offense and look Grace Rayner and I did a big story on Clemson's offense being stale a year and a half ago and talking to Dan Orlovsky and Robert Griffin the third and a, and a bunch of other uh, analysts about what they saw and I think DJ had his own frustrations and you know it's interesting because the first time we as college fans really saw him as Trevor Lawrence was sidelined with you know during COVID missed the Notre Dame game at, at Notre Dame and DJ looked fantastic in that game. And then the next game he started against Boston college. And I think he looked really good in that game. And so he, you know, threw for almost 800 yards and we all kind of expected, all right, he's going to hit the ground running the next year. He already had his Dr. Pepper national TV commercials and everything else. And he struggled. I mean, he was really struggled. And as he told me, he was like, it's the first time I never had like a 300 yard game. You know, I think what he told me he felt and I get it. Like at first I didn't, wasn't picking up on it. And then the more we talked, the more I was, he could feel that the coaches, you know, didn't have confidence in the play calling in what they were sending in. And he was like, I want to throw it downfield. I, you know, he didn't want to run as much and they were kind of leaning on, on the running. And, um, more and more and last year in 2021, you know, remember they were eight and oh when they went to Notre Dame and it wasn't a great Notre Dame team and they struggled in the first half. And then he was telling me, 
how you know he's constantly kind of looking over his shoulder because they had Cade Klubnik and they wanted to give him a chance. And then eventually he said, I, I had what I thought was our best drive and they yanked me. And he was like, I really didn't know and why. And I think his, his confidence kind of withered away there. And one thing that I went back and looked at was when he committed to Clemson, what was really the things he talked up and really – you know, he's very, very religious. And he had talked up, you know, the the faith-based component at Clemson, how Dabo is very, you know, it's a big part of what he talks about. And I think DJ felt very comfortable with that. And when he got there, um, over time, I just think the football part of it, developing him as a quarterback, some of the things he felt like he would like to do and they had talked about, they weren't doing. And eventually... You know, he told me when he was getting when he was before he even went into the portal, he goes, I studied a lot of film on a lot of places. And he really liked what Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren do with quarterbacks and a lot of the freedom that they give their quarterbacks. Um, and that appealed to him. And that's why he made the move. Direct quote from DJ. I didn't want to do what I was doing at Clemson. I didn't really like what we did there scheme wise. I didn't think we did very much. I thought it was very basic. It didn't help me out as a quarterback and play to my strengths. I wanted to go somewhere that would play to my strengths and go somewhere that would develop me for the NFL, play action, work under center, throw the ball deep. Pretty, pretty pointed. And he has a few others like that. I think as I read it, I was a little bit conflicted in that on the one hand, he's saying out loud a lot of the things we all suspected about Dabo and his offense and, um, you know, his stubbornness, you know, it, it maybe what worked four or five years ago doesn't work today. And he also, um, worth noting, as as you know, he fired his offensive coordinator and brought in Garrett Riley after, you know, you know yep. after. So. At the same time, you know, DJ doesn't really take any responsibility himself. And, you know, the notion that, like, I'm, I'm more, I guess, sympathetic to him about scheme than any notion that, like, Dabo pulled him to. I thought Dabo went, was loyal to him too long, given how he was playing. Uh, he had some real nightmare games and D and then Dabo would walk into the press conference and say, he's our starting quarterback, you know, no, no questions asked. He, he gave him every chance, I think, before finally turning, turning the page to Clay Cade Klubnik. Now you watched Oregon state practice. How did he look? You know, it, it looked inconsistent a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't take that much, you know, into one spring, you know, into, into what I saw. I thought, you know, he's still, there's a lot to like there. I don't think it was like a wow practice. You know, I of the three quarterbacks, it's interesting quarterback situation they have there. Ben Goldbranson, who, by the way, is in the same high Southern California quarterback class that DJ, CJ, and Bryce Young came from, right? And so, among others. But, and, and so that was interesting to the point where, I, I asked the one question I knew I was going to ask DJ was about, you know, here we are. And I knew the story was probably going to run before the draft Two of your buddies, which is CJ Stroud and certainly Bryce Young, who he spent a lot of time around. They're going to probably be, they may go one, two in the NFL draft this week. And a lot of people thought you five-star guy, you know, was going to be the guy because he was a much bigger recruit than CJ Stroud was. CJ Stroud was a three-star guy for a while and then blew up at the opening. But, you know, how do, you know, how does that feel? And I, I thought and genuinely felt from him that 
he had zero jealousy and, you know, kind of, you can read as really, I think it's the first quote in the story about how he feels and how happy he is for them. And my time is not like, I think I, I get why the, the, why all the Clemson stuff is the headline stuff. But I think, um, you know, sometimes you talk to somebody and you can feel the, maybe a bitterness or a certain thing with DJ for like that, whatever, 35 minutes or 45 minutes that I was with him. I didn't really get that the guy, um, you know, he seemed like he was in a very good place emotionally and whether that turn, whether he turns out to be a first round quarterback two years from now, or even a year from now, who knows? Um, like I said, go, go Branson was seven and one as a starter. They just did not throw it great last year. Um, but he's back. And then, you know, they, I think when you talk about what they're doing, um, I feel like they have a chance to really, you know, like there's, there's a, uh, really good vibe around the program. Like they, Aiden Childs was a big recruit for them. He's also another Southern California quarterback. He's there early. He, um, he was impressive. Like I liked what I saw from Aiden Childs. He throws it really well. He moves well. Uh, I, I my hunch is Jonathan Smith has three, will have three really good options. But right now, I think DJ is just like he's really got to make some adjustments to where he's at in terms of I got to learn this system. The footwork's going to be different. A lot of the stuff that they're going to ask me to do is stuff that's not you just don't snap your finger and say, oh, I went through six practices and I got it. I just think it's very different from the stuff he was doing at Clemson. So I I suspect the DJ I watched, um, you know, whatever it is, middle of April will probably look a lot different the beginning of August when he's there uh, because I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to be, you know, refined and everything else. But just in terms of where his head was at, I thought he's, I think this is going to be a really interesting transition for him. And he seems like he's, he seemed very mature and, you know, and we've all had sit downs with, with quarterbacks who come out of transfers or different high profile guys. Like I, you know, I thought it was a very, you know, interesting and, and kind of guy who seemed like he's pretty grounded. I got to say, uh, knowing we were going to talk about DJ today, I watched the Oregon State spring game highlights and it would surprise. He may start the season. I would be surprised if he's the quarterback the whole season because Aiden Childs, who you mentioned, who's not even 18 yet, just blew me away. I mean, physically, his his. um his talent, his ability to escape, like he's, there's going to be so much, much like he faced with Cade Klubnik as a freshman, there's going to be so much uh, clamor for him to become the quarterback at some point. I don't think there'll be as much clamor. Here's the, I don't disagree with what you said, but the, but the way you phrased it, I would take issue with this. You said there's going to be clamor. He's in Corvallis, Oregon. He's not in Clemson. You know, like right, it's not going to be as much scrutiny. That's for sure. It's not going to be anywhere near that scrutiny. So, well, I think Oregon State has a chance to be really good. Um, you know, they they brought back what their whole offensive line, I believe. Yeah, uh, and look, they, uh, Martinez is a big physical running. Danny back. Martinez is a great running back. Deshaun Fenwick's back as well. My favorite player, probably on the three-year trip, I went to Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State. Probably my my favorite player I saw was Silas Bolden, who is you know his brother was a dynamic uh, receiver for Oregon State, probably like five years ago. And Silas is another, also from Southern California, super fast. Like you can't 
overthrow him. I mean, he was getting to balls at practice that I was like, that's going to be five yards over that guy's head. And he catch the catch the back end of the ball and almost not breaks stride. I was like, and he's small. He's probably 5'8", 160, if that. But he was a really, really fun player to watch. They also had one of the better defenses in the Pac-12 last year. They've got a lot of speed on defense. So watch out for the Beavers. Since you threw it out there, why don't you give us your quick, because uh, we have one more, more story we want to get to, your quick Oregon and Washington takeaways. Yeah, I got to spend some time at Washington, watch them practice. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. visited with him. I think they got it right with Kalen DeBoer. I will say that um, in that hire. I think their receivers are really good. Their defense, I think, can be really good. Um, I'm interested to see because I feel like a little bit Penix is kind of, because Caleb is out here, is kind of laying in the weeds a little bit. They're going to throw the heck out of the ball. And I could see, you know, I don't know where, you know, where he would be on people's Heisman radar. If he's in the top five, I would imagine he would be, but it's Washington. And you just wonder how much wattage there can be, you know, in terms of like, if Caleb is in the conference, you know, you still have Bo Nix, uh, you know, get to him in a second at, at Oregon. So in this quarter, this conference is loaded with quarterbacks now. I mean, there's really good talent and there's guys that we're not even talking about probably much who are like would be stars and if they were in the ACC or in the SEC. So I liked what I saw at Washington. I did not get the chance. I, I visited with Oregon, but they were practicing at the same time as Oregon State. So I didn't get to see them practice. Um, I did see Josh Connerly, who was a five star offensive line recruit a, like a year and a half ago. And I was like, man, I, I would guess that the two four sevens of the world definitely got that right. I mean, he's much bigger than I expected him to be. And I know the coaches I talked to were super giddy about him. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good trip. So it just, um, like, I think, I think those three teams in the Pac-12 are going to be really good. Um, I don't know if Oregon can be better than they were last year because they, they did lose some good players. But I think some of the guys that, are in the pipeline are, are, are really good. Um, I think the receiving core should be good. I know that, you know, there's some guys that I think diehard duck fans know about, but um, by the way, um, DJ's brother, Mateo, I guess is really, and he was a big recruit coming out of uh, also out of Bosco, but you know, he played D line. He's still, he's, I think doubled at some tight end and he has been impressive as kind of as advertised. If all hell breaks loose in the Pac-12, as ends up being the last year of the Pac-12 football, they're going out with a bang because they have a lot of lot of uh, potential top ten teams and a lot of exciting quarterbacks, like you said. You mentioned C.J. Stroud in passing a little bit earlier. Uh, the other story of yours we wanted to touch on: you did another um, coaching confidential for the NFL draft this weekend. This was NFL coaches, and the one the thing that really stuck out is. You know, a couple weeks ago, even it was still being talked about that CJ would go ahead of Bryce Young, be the number one pick possibly. And that seems to have died. And um, you now have some insight why. Yeah. So, one of the coaches, I, I, as you mentioned, I talked to a, a more than a dozen NFL coaches and a bunch of quarterback coaches in the league. And one of the first one I talked to said, Yeah, some of the analytics is, is, pointing down for him that gives you a little pause and what that what that has become because later in the week 
Yeah, it is the S2 cognition test, which has been around for a little bit of time. And the athletic or NFL writers have covered it to some degree in pretty good detail. Um, you know, Brock Purdy did really well on it. And so we have a really good story from a couple months ago that our 49ers writer did that was really one of the first deep dives into what this test is. I don't want to say it's like the Wonderlick because it's different. It's really about cognitive. Um, there's a lot of layers to it, right? And so when the more I talked, C.J. Stroud, you know, according to NFL coaches, did pretty poorly when he took it. Bryce Young did exceptionally well. Now, Bryce Young has taken a version this test since the 10th grade, and he's taken it m- m- numerous times over the years. Whereas some of these other guys are, are more are were more new to it. Um, with CJ, what's really interesting, and one of the coaches I talked to is a veteran uh, quarterback coach in the NFL, and I'll read you what he said to me. Uh, and he had he had CJ ahead of Bryce initially. And he goes, when I saw that S two, it was brutal. That's scary. And then he went in to say. If we're in that position, meaning where we might need to, where we were looking at a quarterback and we were in the top of the draft, he goes, I might get him to, I'd get him to retake that test because sometimes you get a false read on it. But he goes, if you believe in it, and he goes, we've got plenty of evidence from looking at the scores and the players that you've coached, you can't discount it or deny it. And so two other coaches I talked to were a little, you know, the one thing they both kind of came back to, especially one was, you know, when I see him on film, that is, these are not the issues. It doesn't line up with what, what we're seeing on the, those test results. And it's a fascinating dynamic. Like for people who are curious about this, like when I got into this, when I started working on this project, it was not, I didn't think it, that was going to be the, the, the hammer in it, like the first whatever thousand words of it. But it's fascinating because for people who are into analytics and these kinds of things. And look, you know, when LSU really got rolling, Jack Marucci, who I would argue is the smartest person in sports that I've been around was a big believer in it and did a lot of this stuff over the years. And so as it's been refined, um, I think it's, I think it's fascinating stuff to dig into. And I think the NFL is whether you want to say they're like waist deep into it or neck deep into it. I don't know, but this is obviously a hot story right now. I, yeah, I, I would be curious to hear more about the test. Um, if that's the reason it ends up happening, so be it. I, I myself was surprised that there was so much push to put him above Bryce Young just because of the inconsistency. Like we've seen him have amazing performances, most recently at Georgia game. We've also seen him have some real duds. So to me, have we seen him have real duds though? Are you gonna what? Have you? We've seen him have real duds. I don't know if I've seen him have real dud performances where he stunk. The Northwestern game, and I know everybody's like, "Oh, it's the wind." Yeah, like he's the first quarterback ever to play in wind. Um, no, I mean, I, I maybe dud was too strong, but I mean, a lot. He he seemed to be prone more to interception. Like Ohio State had, was so good, it wouldn't matter. In two years, he threw eight interceptions. Were you at the Iowa game, right? Weren't you there? I was at the Iowa game. Didn't he have? He had like um, he had a, he had two or three turnovers in the first half of that game, and then they ended up blowing it out in the second half. Look, I think they're both good. They'll both go on to have great NFL careers. I would personally take Bryce Young, and we'll see what ends up happening. 
I just want to pull a quick email from the at gmail.com. Jason Garluski. The subject is meatball sub. Bruce and Stewart, I just heard the episode where Bruce is crushing a meatball sub. I was walking around my house at 7 a.m. with everyone asleep, and I was like, damn, a meatball sub sounds awesome. Bruce is a genius. Maybe next episode, Stewart could crush a sub to see if it's equally awesome, or maybe you could do something with the Trader Joe's stuff, like this week on the Audible, Bruce enjoys Funyuns. All I know is that S-H-I-T cracked me up. You got any other... Uh, Food, Mac. I mean, you were for the second straight week. You were eating something when we first came on the show. Yeah, but that was cereal because we were running late, and I didn't want right. to keep up and waiting. So, yeah, um, we usually record in the morning. It's it, that was an unusual situation where you were traveling. It was late at night, and you know, I've been in that situation. There aren't that many options usually for takeout at that hour. So, you want to crush a meatball sub at ten thirty at night? You know, have at it. Yeah, um, and it was good. So I. Wish I remember the name of the place in Seattle that delivered, but it was uh, it was good. So um, we appreciate David for joining us today. It was a lot. I felt it was a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, I felt bad that we had a short episode last week. I think we really crammed a lot in this one. Um, there aren't many spring games left. It might even just be Oregon or Oregon and a couple more. So um, I think next week's episode will be coming off the NFL draft. There's usually some interesting college takeaways from that. You know which which schools produce the most picks and whatnot. But I would like to do a full-on email segment. So the, 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 the well has dried up. Send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.